You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Welcome back to Legends Live as presented by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. This is the home of all our NBA and WNBA legends. I'd like to remind our viewers you can submit questions during the show that we will get to right before we wrap up. Without any further ado, I'd like to get to today's guest. We have former Iowa Hawkeye. We've got one of Detroit's finest. He was a champion with the Chicago Bulls. We've got BJ Armstrong with us. BJ, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Tyler. Thank you so much for the kind words. Hope you and your family are doing safe. And uh, thank you again for having me on. Of course, man. Uh, first things first. How are you? How, how are things with you? Well, we can't complain. Uh, out here in Los Angeles, we're doing well. At least we got good weather. Yeah. But like everyone else, um, we're just managing from day to day, trying to figure this out, trying to be responsible, play our part. But overall, uh, family is healthy. No news is good news in the Armstrong household. Yeah. And uh, we're hanging in there. Definitely. One of the titles I forgot to mention, I, I guess I should say host of the pushing one of the hosts of the pushing through pod with Tate Frazier. Uh, so tell me more about that. How'd that come about uh, and how are you enjoying podcasting world? Well, the podcasting world has been terrific and what a great platform. And I've kind of been tinkering with it for quite some time and over the last four or five years, just getting out in that world hmm. with podcasts, whether I'm doing uh, as a guest on Friends podcast or shows. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to have a podcast myself. Just have fun with it. Every day we just get on, we keep it light. But again, we cover what's going on in the, in the NBA and what I'm currently doing as an agent, being around the game. It just really gives myself, my guests, and my co-host, Tate Frazier, a platform where we can come out and really have fun with it and kind of put our two cents on everything that's going on. I really like to make fun of all of the narratives that are out there. I like to make fun of all of the things uh, that people are saying when you know probably that they're not true. But again, right. it's always fun for us. And uh, we have a lot of fun with it, a lot of laughs. And I get a chance to catch up with a lot of the guys, either yeah. that I've played against or played for coaches. So it's been a lot of fun for me to do. I was going to ask you about something I saw you, uh, one of your recent shows, but what is your favorite narrative to laugh at? That's a good one. So what's, what's one that you're like laughing at now? Well, sources say, you know, like and in, in listening to <laughs> okay. James Harden. Well, sources say James Her Harden. Sources close yeah. to James Harden. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I love the sources. I love, well, I talked, I spoke to someone within the organization and here's what they told me. Well, <laughs> I'm sure that didn't happen, but right. I'm sure the editors at some of these outlets have to have something to say. And it really is intriguing to the fans and to the audience. And that's a tribute to the popularity of the game. Definitely. We as the fans, we as the you know observers or casual observers, how much NBA or basketball that you consume, mm. you know, we can't get enough. So right. anything that I can hear or sources say you see it trending and all of a sudden it takes on a life of its own 
But yeah. in working in this business for 30 plus, 30 plus years now, I'm pretty sure that there wasn't a source who said that, but <laughs> the media has to say something. So I like to make fun of it and uh, it makes me laugh. And here we are making fun of it right now. Yeah, I, I, that's one of my favorites because when they like a source within the organization, is that like the chef in the kitchen, like the custodian? <laughs> like, you know, like this could be that's technically somebody within the yeah. rockets or whatever. A close friend of James Harden said, Well, if he's a right. close friend, why is he telling what right. James Harden is talking about? Yeah, James Friend's best friend forever yeah. is talking about everything he's telling him in private. Some friend. Yes. So I, I, I love that. And, uh, but it's fun. I mean, we just, you know what? These guys have so much pressure. These players have so much pressure. And, you know, the, the game is so popular now that we cover every movement. Everything yep. they say is being scrutinized, analyzed. Well, year. And uh, the game is a 12-month of gear. It, the coverage is 12 months, literally, of NBA action. And you got to fill the airwaves with something. So I get it. It's the business. You know, there's a you know, there's a lot of money to be made in covering the NBA and all of these platforms. And um, but it, it's it makes me laugh. It, it really I, I, I love it. And uh, I just love making fun of it. So with the you mentioned hardened. So and I saw there was something you had, Tate had discussed. So where like where do you think he ends up? Like it, we've here the I think BK uh, Brooklyn, Philly, I think Miami and Milwaukee jumped into the mix today uh, per sources for some anonymous sources. Uh, so where, where do you think he ends up? Well, I, I think it's going to really come down to the following. What team can absorb, one, his contract, mm. his financial situation, and two, is this a team that's really in a position to win? Because James Harden is not a young kid trying to figure out who he's going to be. Right. James Harden is in win that now. window right now. Yep. And so I think there are only a couple of teams that could absorb that or have the criteria that he, James and his team of people would need to meet to go there and actually play. And it'd be a good fit. You know, one of the teams obviously would be the Brooklyn Nets. Why? Because they're ready to win right now. Right. I think another team would be the Philadelphia 76ers because one, they have the assets, at least on paper, that you seem like you could possibly maneuver or figure out how all of the financials would work and they could get back a, a good player from mm -hmm. Philadelphia and then bring him to a situation that actually could absorb what he brings and his personality and all the things that he's going to need to address and wherever he wants to play. So mm -hmm. I think Philadelphia could be a place when you look at the Clippers, you say there's a possibility, highly unlikely, but that's another place. So I think if he's going to get traded, I think he's going to get traded to a good team, mm -hmm. to a team that's ready to win. Now a team that could absorb and bring back the assets because Houston is going to have to get a player that could yeah. at least they could say we can move in a different direction, a sure. young potential superstar player or a number of players that will balance out James Harden. You just don't find James Harden in every year in the draft. Right. Yeah, you, don't, very, you don't replace that. Yeah. You don't replace, you're not, you know, you, you just can't replace 30 points a night, but whatever they're going to have to do, they're going to have to figure out how to do what's best for them, not only in the now, but looking out into the future because you're going to want draft picks and all of the other things for a caliber player like James Harden, because he's one of the top, let's just say conservatively speaking, one of the top five players currently now in the NBA. So what do you make of, I've seen some Miami, like my a Miami team coming off of Eastern conference uh, finals, victory loss in the finals. 
but I've heard them mix, uh, mentioned. I've heard some Chicago, your old stomping grounds. I've seen New Orleans. I think New Orleans is an interesting one. But what do you make of Miami? Like, do you think that's a, a move Miami should should entertain? Like, is it worth you know upsetting what they've built so far? Well, when I look at the Miami roster, I begin to look at financially how would they make that work? Hmm. How would they make that work? So, you know, would you trade, you know, potentially Bam out of Bayou, who you have a lot of time. Now they have a lot of money invested into him and the Mm -hmm. future of this organization and his age. Do you trade that particular player for an older player with no bigs to compliment, which would be obviously James Harden and Jimmy Butler? Mm -hmm. Because I've heard some, that I, yeah. Iguodala would be the salary, so they would keep Bam, but like between, I guess between Iguodala, I think I heard Harold. But if you're the Houston Rockets, yeah. you are not going to trade <laughs> James Harden for Andre Iguodala. Let's right. come on, you, right. you can't do that. So again, this is going to be very complex how they would have to make this trade because the Houston Rockets are going to have to get back what they would consider fair value. Right. And they've already, and said they, the Houston Rockets have already been put in an uncompromising position because we have a player who has basically notified them, whether he said that to them outright, but by his actions, I think we pretty much know what he's trying to say without saying it. I want to be traded. So it's a very difficult situation. I don't think the the Miami Heat have enough Mm. to get back to the Houston Rockets to make such a trade. But, you know, these are stranger strange times and we've seen stranger things happen especially in 2020 <laughs> absolutely let me ask you this what what's stopping like a new orleans because i look with all the assets they've gotten for drew holiday for anthony davis i think they could make an offer that doesn't include zion williamson or brandon ingram like i think you could throw all those picks you got lonzo ball jj reddick uh jackson hayes like some of the young guys they drafted this year or last year do you think that would be a fit I do not. I I don't think that would be a good fit. And here's why. I don't think Stan Van Gundy, when he came to the New Orleans Pelicans as the head coach, I don't think that was the players, the style, and the things that he is expecting when he accepted that job to get James Harden and Zion Williamson and, and, and all of the players that would be involved or who's coming in the door and who's going out. So I don't think that would be a good fit for him um, talking about James Harden, but that's just my personal opinion. I think James Harden would want to be around other veteran players. Right. You know, it's that's one thing that we know it was one thing that, you know, I learned playing in the NBA. If you're going to win in this league, you're going to win with veterans. Mm. You know, it, there's no replacement for experience. You can talk about it. You can practice all you want. You have to have game experience. So, Going to a young team, a young situation where, you know, guys are learning on the job. Okay, maybe you can have one or two players in your top eight or ten and get away with that and still win. But overall, you better have a team full of veterans. And I don't think that would be a good fit for James Harden at this stage of his career. Mm. Speaking of a couple of veterans uh, that just got flipped for one another, actually, what did you make of the uh, Russell Westbrook to Washington John Wall going back to Houston. What'd you make of that swap? Well, when you look at those guys' contracts as an agent, I thought, which team 
could absorb or take on a contract. I thought those were two contracts that you look at on paper, you go, no one is right. going to take those contracts. Like, right. who's going to trade for those level of contracts? Mm-hmm. You know, these guys are super max players. Yeah. And lo and behold, you found not one, but you found two teams who were willing to actually swap two super max players. So I thought that was unique because it was going to take a very unique situation, a unique set of circumstances for it to happen. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, you had two players, a John Wall, who's an all-star caliber player. And then you have Russell Westbrook, who's an all-star MVP caliber player. And they were able to swap. So, you know what? I, I think on paper, you see the potential of both players and what they could potentially bring when healthy. Let's hope John Wall is, you know, back at least near the level that he was at before the injury occurred for him with his Achilles. And of course we know Russell Westbrook. I mean, he's, he's a, he's all in, he's a thousand miles an hour, you at know, all times. at all times. So, you know, I think it was a good trade for both teams based on, you know, if you have both of those players didn't seem like they were currently happy with their current situations and sometime a change is good. And, and, uh, you know, gives Russell in particular a chance to reunite, uh, with his coach that he played for down there in Scott Brooks down there in Oklahoma. So there he's familiar with that. And it gives John Wall a new team, a new look, a new opportunity. And those comes with a different set of circumstances for him. And uh, we'll see how it works out and turns out for both players. Another thing I, I uh, saw you and Tate discussing, what do you make of this? Like just the Kyrie Irving, him just, like not speaking to media, he's releasing statements. They they're mad. He's releasing statements. Just what what do you make of of all that? Well, welcome to 2020. <laughs> right. Just welcome to 2020. And you know, it's the one thing I, I I've come to understand about players is that you know players are going to always find a way to express themselves. We may not agree with it in our everyday and how they do it and 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 what is said because these players are feeling a way that they want to be heard and not only they want to be heard they want to have a way to feel that you know they're human you know they're not just players they you know we forget that these are people behind those uniforms and you know i've gotten a chance over the years to meet Kyrie Irving. I've gotten a chance to see him away from basketball and and obviously the public Kyrie Irving that we're discussing right now. That's not the Kyrie Irving that I had a chance to meet when the camera's not on. And it's so unfortunate because I was being a former player. I know the difference between my public life Mm. and my private life. And now with the way the game is covered, the the lines have been blurred. Mm. Because the public life now is the private life (laughs) and the private life is the public life. And some people and their personality, it fits very well. Some people like to draw the line. Hmm. And then there's others where it gets kind of overlapped. And all of a sudden you have a situation where now Kyrie has made a decision to where he doesn't want to talk at all. Hmm. You know, and it's very unfortunate because Kyrie... He's not a good kid. He's a great kid. He really is. He does great work. He does great smart work. Guy, in the yeah. He's smart, does great work in the community, yep. has a big heart. But we are in living in a, you know, in strange times now. And all of these things are overlapping where we don't know 
is this his public life? Is this his private life? Because guys are, yeah, guys are posting things on their, their, their private account, but it gets picked up by, you know, aggregators. So it's, 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 I get it. And I just hope that Kyrie can have a balance with the media because he's a special player. He's a special talent. And there are so many fans who love him and love what he what he, I, I'm a fan of Kyrie. I mean, I love how he plays. I mean, he is a very talented young man. And I like to hear from Kyrie. I think mean, I think he's a great interview. Some of the things he said, you know, he he's entertaining. And he's, he's never boring. I feel like yeah. most interviews you see from athletes, you don't remember anything you said. You usually remember something Kyrie Irving said. And and I just hope that he can have that balance and feel comfortable because, yeah, I, I get it. You know, sometimes the media can be tough, and I get it. Sometimes the media, you know, the media is the media. But the, in between all of that, there are a lot of people who is rooting for Kyrie Irving. Consider myself one of them. And I don't want just one outlet or whoever these people are to win this race because Kyrie has something to say. And besides that, you know what? He is one of the leaders of the team this year. And being one of the leaders, I think he should have a voice. And I just want him really to be honestly, I just want him to be the best version of Kyrie Irving. And right now, you know what? I want him to feel comfortable you know, just saying whatever he needs to say, have fun with it. You know, if it's one thing I learned in my generation when we played was how did Charles Barkley get away saying all the things that he said? (laughs) I mean, we should all aspire to be Charles Barkley because the things he says, like, I don't know if I take the guy serious or not, but he has some, yeah, somebody that's who Charles really is. He talks that way when the camera is not on. He talks that way when the camera is on. And I think everyone, like if I said that, they'd be like, Oh, BJ, what did you just say? If Charles Barkley says it, they go, Oh, that's just Charles. That's just Charles. Yeah. So, you know, Kyrie, have fun with it, have fun with it. Enjoy yourself. And you know what? And then we'll go from there. But, um, you know, I, I hope he comes back and starts doing interviews. Maybe we can get him on. Uh, maybe we can get him on legends live. Hey, there we go. Uh, so I, I will add, as a former player, and you played in Chicago, a big market. Media was different then and now, of course. But how hard is it to toe that line? Like when you when Kyrie knows everything he says is going to be flipped some kind of way. So just as a player, how hard is it to to just navigate that? Tyler, that's a great question. And one of the things when I first came into this league as a young man, 21, 22 years of age, you know, I came in and I wanted to just play. I wanted to play basketball. That was my dream to have an opportunity to play in the NBA. Once I got to the NBA, I quickly learned that this is a profession. And now I had a new goal. I wanted to become a professional in the NBA. And I had to learn everything that came with it. And I had to grow up and grow up fast. And being in a big market, I learned quickly the importance and the relationship that I had to have with the media. I learned that, you know what, it wasn't going to be all fun and games. There was going to be a parts of my business, like every business, like every adult. There's things that you have to do as an adult that you maybe don't want to do, but you have to you have to do them. And one of those things was after every game, I had 10, 15 minutes to get myself dressed because the media was coming. And whenever I would feel sorry for myself, I would just look to my right. And there was a guy who wore number 23. He would have a hundred media in front of his locker 
Bill Winnington. Before, I remember him well. <laughs> before and after every game. And Bill Winnington did that for years <laughs> and never complained about it. And I thought, I got to learn how to be a professional and accept this responsibility. So I've always ex- I respected the media, knowing that they have a job to do. And I thought if I could help them do my job, do their job, I should say, they would help me do my job. I'm just here to play well, do the best I can. They're here to get a story, get that story on time to their editors. And I just learned the relationship and the business. So the business of sports, the business of basketball is what allowed me to have a mutual respect. One that I still have to to this day. That's why I'm in the media still is because I understand the importance of the media because without the media, we can't have those salaries. We can't have this business. We can't have the popularity of the game. We have a third of our players. A third of our players are foreign born players because of the popularity of this game. And that's because of the media. Yes. And that's because of the media, the popularity of the game, but more importantly, the coverage of this game. So this is a relationship that you have to understand. This is a relationship that I think every young player probably doesn't understand when they come in. But I had an everyday example by Bill Winnington and company of what was the relationship (laughs) that you need. And it was um, I'm just very fortunate that I got a chance to see it and understand it. And more importantly, I learned how to be a pro on and off the court. Now, did that because you said like your media now you did some was it uh, pregame like postgame you had some analyst work. You yep. worked in the front office with the Bulls. You played, of course. Now you're an agent. So you have seen it from like a couple different sides. How did you decide to go like to the agent side? Like what, what, what got you into that side of it? Well, it was like everything in my life. It's been an, a pure accident. I never grew up and said I wanted to be an agent. I never like woke up. Well, you know, I didn't have this epiphany where I was like, oh, I want to be an agent. And here's why. It just it kind of happened. And it happened on my first day on the job as a player because I had so many questions as a young kid coming into this league that no one prepared me for. And I had no one to ask. Right. I didn't know how to pack for an NBA road trip. I didn't know how to play in an NBA game. The NBA game is only played in one place in the NBA. It's not played in college. It's not played in the playgrounds of Detroit. You know, there's. Um, I didn't know how to eat properly. I didn't know how to practice and get myself prepared for an NBA game. I had so many questions, you know, like, how do you dress for a road trip? Like, what kind of luggage do you buy? I had so many questions, you know, as a young player, like I came in and I, I just wanted to fit in with the guys. And I just started looking around the locker room. Well, you know. You know, Scotty and those guys are wearing suits. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. No one sat down and told me this is what you're supposed to do. So how did I become an agent? I just wanted to collapse the learning curve that I had because I was one of the fortunate ones who had great veterans who I did learn from. The Bill Cartwrights, the Michael Jordans, the Craig Hodges, and those guys who took me under their wing and showed me when the cameras were off how to be a professional. Right. I didn't learn from the coaches. I didn't learn from, you know, sources. sources. I didn't learn from my best friends. I learned from actual professionals who said, you know what, BJ, this is how you dress. Mm. This is how you check into a hotel. 
This is how you eat on the road. This is how you catch a cab, because back then we used to travel commercially. This is how you catch a cab to and from the airport. No one teaches you all these things, right? Everyone wants to have that wicked jump shot. Everyone wants to have that crossover. But who's helping these young people to grow? And that's what I was fortunate to have with professionals on my team. So once I started playing and I saw that the players were getting younger and younger and younger, how are they going to learn how to be pros? Because there's no one there to teach you how to be a professional, right? You you, you got to learn. Yeah, you just got to fire. You, you get thrown. So, you know, I, I, I was fortunate. My very first coach in the NBA was a Hall of Fame coach, Phil Jackson. The first player that I lined up beside was this guy by the name of Michael Jordan. <laughs> so I had some luck that I just lined up with like, Hall of Fame people around me. And then the other guy on the other wing was Scottie Pippen. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad to have a on left and right of you. Right. So I was lucky. But I also could have went into another situation where I could have been on a, on a team and we could have not won any games or we could have been one of those and just been another guy trying to figure out how to make it in this league. Like we like all, you, are. you could have been the vet. Like you got I drafted could, to a young team. Yeah, you would have been the old head of the team. Yes. So, you know, there's a lot of things that have to happen. You know, some players come in with just exceptional talent. It doesn't matter. You can drop them off anywhere, but for the majority of us, there's some luck involved here, but also you create your own luck by, you have to grow. You have to be open to these situations. But more importantly, you got to be you got to be a professional. That's why they call it professional sports. And you can have great talent, but your talent alone is not going to keep you in the in this business very long. So um, that's how I became an agent. I just saw an enormous opportunity as the league was getting younger and younger and younger to the point now where, Tyler, when I look at the league and I hear things like, well, we have we we have you know, players now who get drafted in the lottery, get drafted in the lottery. And we say he has great potential. You know, now we are drafting players with the idea of what they're going to be. Well, when I came in, Patrick Ewing had to be. Akeem Olajuwon had to be. Day one. Day one. There wasn't, there wasn't any developmental coaches back then, Right. Can you play or you can't? BJ, if you can't make the shot, then we're going to go find someone else who can make the shot. So the developmental piece that I'm currently seeing is one that I saw like in the early 2000s. And I said, oh, if we're going to keep bringing in these young players at 18 and 19 years of age, we're going to have to collapse the timeline from five or six years to two or three years, and they're going to have to be around veterans that can ans- answer those questions. Now, the NBA has done a great thing. They have all of these programs, you know, training programs that they have, but it doesn't replace the everyday opportunity that I had to be with Bill Cartwright. I was with okay. Bill every single day. I was with Craig Hodges every single day. I was with Michael Jordan every single day. And just because you have a program and you do it for four or five days can't replace the actual day-to-day process. So that's how I became an agent. I just saw an enormous opportunity and it's been great. And it keeps me close by the game, but more importantly, 
the beautiful thing about it is I see these young people come in and it's funny to see when they get to be 28, 29, how our conversations change. And then you get a chance to see them when they retire that, that, you know what, they came in as an 18, 19 year old kid. And then you to watch them leave the game at 35, 36 is a beautiful thing because everyone has to evolve. And if the player evolves and if the person evolves, you know, the NBA and the sports, it could be a beautiful thing, but they have to continue to evolve because uh, there's really no place to learn this other than actually playing. And sometimes you get through it and sometimes you don't. And that's the unfortunate part about this business. Uh, won't keep you too long. One more question and we'll, we'll jump into uh, got some viewer questions here. But as an agent, it's we keep hearing the word like upon the the next CBA that they're going to go back to high school kids into the draft. Like as an agent, is that something like, does that fit with what you were saying? Like, like these are young kids, like 18 to 19 doesn't seem like much, but that one year of college, they're not going to have that now. So as an agent, is that something that you would like, or would you like to see, you know, maybe two years in college uh, requirement? Well, you know, being in this business, I'm, I'm going to give you what I, what I see, you know, mm-hmm. There's so many things going on. And when I say things, you know, you have the collegiate, you know, sports, you have pro sports, what's right, what's wrong. You have, you know, you have all of these different arguments and I can understand and see all of the different arguments. The thing that the NBA and what made what made the NBA, the NBA, the greatest league in the world was the following. This was a league that was based on performance. This was a league that was based on performance. When you go to an NBA game, I expect BJ Armstrong and other players who have on that uniform to make that open shot. That's the difference between a professional game and a collegiate game. The collegiate player may or may not make that shot. But if I'm paying money to see Ray Allen, I expect Ray Allen to make that shot. I expect Steph Curry to make that shot. That's the difference. If you want to have the NBA and you want to truly answer that question, let's get back to what made the NBA the NBA performance. I can't keep drafting players with potential and, you know, we're, we're, we're going to figure out and, and, and and get them better years down the line. By the time they're the, 23, 24, the, all 25. Of the, 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 the NBA, I the, the 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 people I feel worse for right now in the NBA are the head coaches because the head coaches never get a chance to develop this player for five years and then reap the benefits of the developmental piece that it requires when we draft these young kids with the first, second, third, fourth pick. Right. You're basically getting that player ready for the next coach. So the coaches have this responsibility of now and everyone else has basically got rid of that responsibility, including the players. So every team that wins are always the experienced players. That's why every coach wants to coach experienced players. When you look at the Lakers, it's experience. They wanted vets in there. That's why Miami was so unique because, you know, they had rookies playing 
key. Everyone was like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Who picked Miami? Raise your hand. No one picked Miami at the beginning of the season. Now, if we really want to preserve our game, which makes our game different than every other game, the collegiate game, Europe, you know, FIBA, is this is a league that's based on performance. If you can perform at 18 and make that open shot, you should be playing in the NBA. But if you don't perform, you shouldn't be here. And you're going to hear about it. No, no, you shouldn't hear about it. You should be about it. Everybody should, we should get back to what made the NBA great. You did not come see the great players of that era. Larry Bird talking about he's going to get better. You didn't come say Kareem is developing his hook shot. He's a couple years away. (laughs) No, you came to see players perform. If we can if we can hold ourselves to that standard, because that's what that's what makes our game special. You saw phenomenal, phenomenal players. When you went to go see the late Kobe Bryant, when you went to go see Tim Duncan, Shaquille O'Neal, Clyde Drexler, Larry Bird, Elgin Baylor, Oscar Robertson, so forth and so on. There was a certain standard of excellence that you came to expect. You didn't come there to develop. If you want to go develop. There are other places where you should go to develop. And I agree with that. So I think if we place the game back in the position where there should only be one thing. And that's called winning. That's the only way you can measure yourself in team sports in sports, period. If we place the evaluation of our game on winning. Then all the other things will work itself out because right now, right now. What's the first thing you do? Well, they're, they have potential. They're, they're two or three years away. I haven't seen a coach yet in 20 years since I retired that has developed this player and then coached them to the finals. You don't get that chance because if you don't win, they fire you, right? Whether you're the GM, whether you're the head coach, or at some point you get traded as the player. But if we can just place the responsibility to say, you know what? We're here to win games and we're going to find the players who's going to help us win. Now, why do we all play to compete? Your competitive spirit is what makes the game great. Your competitive spirit. Everyone wants to win, but more importantly, I want to see people compete. I don't want to see people develop. I don't. That to me is the purity of the game. And it probably will never happen. It's probably far-fetched. But if you want to correct the game and get it back to where it's playing at its highest level, just let guys compete. The best players will show up. The best coaches will show up. And the game will take care of itself. But when we start trying to develop, and this guy's two years away, this guy's four years away, this gets – because it's not fair. It's not fair, first of all, to the players – who are ready to win, right? You don't you don't want to be the guy, you don't want to be James Harden playing on a young team right now. Right. It's like I did my developing. Like I'm ready, <laughs> I'm ready to win now. I, I, yeah. I'm not saying that you're going to win every game, but right. you should at least come to the gym with the expectation, I can try to win every game. This that that's the prof- that's the mentality of a of a of a true professional is you should have the ability to try to win every game or at least feel you have the opportunity 
But coming here with the idea what we're going to develop and see where we're at three years from today, you're like, you know, as a, as a, every professional athlete knows, you have a short window. All of us can't be like LeBron James. He He's the only guy I know that's seemed like he's beating Father Time. You know, Father Time hasn't lost a game, but LeBron James is in year 19, and you're going, wow. Like, I mean, he's he still looks great. He's still going. So, you know, I, I think that's that's something that the game has to figure out. The game, the people, the caretakers, and the, the people who, you know, love this game. We have to preserve this game because – the game has been so wonderful to all of us who played, coach, own teams, running in the league. All of us have to say, what is this game going to look like for the next generation? Because it was it's always come down to the competitive spirit. I mean, the greatest players to ever play the game, they were ultra competitive. So how do we make the game and maintain the level of competitive spirit that made this game great in the first place. And that, to me, that's the only way to do it. Let me check in with Bridget here. I think we got a couple of viewer questions. Let's see what we have from our viewers today. First question is from The Real Matt Money. Matt says, what player today do you think plays most like you did? What player today? Um well, I'll tell you, I don't know who plays like I did because I didn't have an opportunity at the professional level to dribble as much as these players. Today, <laughs> players players can just like dribble, <laughs> you know, like, like everyone, like, you know, I love it. Like players are supposed to have to I'll take it to his leg like 10 times. You know, if yeah. I did that, that was like, that was a cardinal sin. Bench. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and, and my generation, Michael Jordan and Scotty are like, wait, what are you doing dribbling? Pass me the ball, right? <laughs> uh, but I can tell you the player that I enjoy most that okay. – I always say that if I was playing today, I would try to mimic my game as CJ McCollum. Okay. Uh, Why CJ? He's a crafty crafty player. Because he's crafty. He, you know, he he shoots. When he came in the league, he was a catch-and-shoot guy. And then suddenly he worked on his game, and now he can play off the dribble, screen roll. He plays in transition. And he's just – He's 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 clever, you know. He's he's very clever. So CJ McCullough is is like one of my favorite players to watch because he plays in today's game and he's changed his game to fit right. what makes a good player today. He can play one on one. He can play off screen role. He can play in trans transition. He can shoot off the catch off one foot. He just has figured out how to adjust his game to fit today's game so and he and we're right around the same size you know he's he's probably a little bigger than me uh, than I ever was as a player but height wise we're kind of the same and he's just a guard I don't know if he's a point guard or a two guard he's just a guard, guard. and he's just a guard so um, he's my favorite so I think CJ McCullough it would be the player that I would try to be or close you know you know try to mimic my game if I were playing in today's game Got one from Pork Row Mafia. Welcome back, Pork Row. Uh, I know you're an Iowa guy, he says. Is oh, place, yes. <laughs> is there a place for Luke Garza in the modern NBA? Yeah, well, Luca is, is, is a very interesting player as a pro prospect from this standpoint. The game now is a small game, right? Where small ball is here to play, here to stay. And the three-point shot is here. It's a real thing. At first, you know, we didn't know 
when Steph Curry and, and Clay Thompson were shooting like that, we were like, is this just an error that we haven't? No, the three-point shot is here to stay. Now, Luca is a big guy, and he's not like uh, the same type of big guy like a Kevin Garnett or currently an Anthony Davis or a Giannis. He's a different kind of a back-to-the-basket who has found a way to step out. He can he can make threes. He can play with his back-to-the-basket. Um, but for the most part, big guys today are playing what we call vertical basketball. You know, you, guard drives to the basket. He throws it up, guy dunks in the alley and so forth. And so I think he will have to continue to expand his game to be a stretch player in today's game at the NBA level. But that's not to take away anything he's done as a collegiate player. I mean, his ability, Incredibly what he's done, player. I mean, he's putting up massive numbers. And, and let's just say players will always find a way. So even though it may not be the traditional way in the sense of how we evaluate and how we're looking at the game today, he can play. Make no doubt about it. This young man can play. He's shouldering the responsibility of what it means to be a good player at the collegiate level. He has proven that he can score against single coverage, double coverage, triple coverage. And he is uh, he is a problem at the collegiate level. And because he appears to be a really intelligent kid, he will figure out how to play up here as well. So like how to make an impact. He'll figure it out. You know, you don't have to be always the, the, the fastest guy. You don't have to be the strongest guy. You just have to figure it out. And and he showed he has shown me as I watch him play, he makes adjustments. He'll figure out how to play up here. So and being an Iowa guy, I know I'm a little biased, but you know what? You know, I, I'm rooting for him because uh the game needs players like him because he clearly loves the game and he's another guy that he's he's he performs and I love it. I it doesn't matter what it looks like, he performs he and he plays and you know what? You know, he should have every opportunity to play up here and uh I'm rooting for him and and you know Hopefully, you know, he'll have that chance to play in the NBA next year. Next question. We've got one from Gil. Gil says, BJ, what's your favorite pizza place in Chicago? What's my favorite? I'm going to get it. Someone's going to be so upset with me. Is it Giordano's? I think it's Giordano's. I think that's what what I think I'm hoping. You know, it's been some years since I've lived in Chicago. That's my favorite place. And uh, there's so many great. You can't get a. It's like going to it's like going to Paris or going to France and trying to get a a a, a, a bad you know croissant. You don't right. go to Chicago and get a bad slice a of bad pizza. Slice. You can't. I mean, that's impossible. You this food in Chicago is great, but Giordano's is my favorite place, and uh, that I go and. But you know, you can stop off anywhere in in Chicago and and get a good uh, slice of pizza. That's a good city to be in. They yeah, sell oh, that. man. Point. Oh, man. You, you, you Try it. You Every time I go to France, I try to get a bad croissant. That's my goal. I try to get it. So in Chicago, try to get a bad try slice. Of a slice. slice. <laughs> try to find a slice. You can't. You can't find a bad slice. In might be my, my next mission. Find the only <laughs> bad slice of pizza uh, next time I'm in Chicago. <laughs> One last question before we let you go. We're putting together a playlist from all our legends. I see you every day or so. You drop some of the oh, some some tunes you listen. To. I, oh. I know I know you got cheat for us. Give, give me a couple songs that you listen to throughout the day. You got on in the car, headphones. Just give us a couple, one or two songs. We'll add to our playlist. Man, well, you know, I, I, I'm a huge, huge, huge music. I'm, I'm a huge music person. Like, 
you know, I'm from Detroit, right? That's Motown. So music is like music and cars and then basketball. That's kind of <laughs> like my <laughs> basketball is like third or fourth yeah, on the list, right? You third, know? Yeah. Um, what am I listening to currently? Um, I'm always listening to hip hop, I, but I love all genres of music, right? My, my, my mom and dad were huge into jazz and soul growing up. Um, but what am I, I grew up with, with hip hop. That's like, so what am I listening to? If I had to tell you anything, I would always, I always say, you always got to listen to the message by Grandmaster Flash. That's like, that's like your, that's like my start. That's like my starting point. If you want to know what an MC is supposed to be, then you got to listen to Melly Mel. That to me Mm -hmm. is like, you know, then he, you know, with KRS-One and Big Daddy Kane and Rakim and all of these guys. Now, I mentioned Rakim and, and and all those other guys is because Rakim, when they made Paid in Full, that album, that was a game changer. That was a game changer. Right, just up. get that album. Just get that I'm album. It doesn't matter what song. Yeah, I ain't no hip joke. Boy. You just get that album. That's just... And then you will understand something about hip-hop, right? You'll understand... And I'm sorry, I get passionate about the music. You understand I don't know. It. I, yeah. I, I, I was like, I know BJ's going to have a couple yeah, songs. Yeah, that's... Yeah, so you just get the whole album of Eric V and Rakim, and you'll understand. Then you can understand Nas, you know. Then you can understand G Rap. You can understand Jay Z after you get that album first. And then in today's game, you got to go with Kendrick. Okay. Because this young man has taken the baton and he has, you know, he just, he's carrying on the tradition of what an MC, he has something to say. He's clever, his wordplay, his music, and most importantly, he can perform live. And uh, so, you know, let's start at the beginning with Melly Mel and Grandmaster Kaz and Big Daddy Kane and Coogee Rap and all of those guys, Cool Keith, and then go all the way to where you can look at Kendrick and say, you know what, I understand what this business of hip hop is really all about and J Cole and, and, and the others, right. There's a lot of great music musicians. I don't care where you're from, you know, great music, a great MC is a great MC as my man KRS would say, KRS one. So that's where I'm at. I'm listening to it. I love all of the music. That's what I do. I just listen to hundreds of songs every day. Well, just listen to the music and whatever, you know, if you like Andre 3000 down there in Atlanta, you know, there's great artists everywhere all around the world now. So, uh, but music is, is nothing like good music. So, and don't forget about the women. Oh, don't yeah. forget, don't forget, don't forget about the women. Rhapsody and all of these women, you know, you know, that are in this business as well. Queen Latifah and all of those, because there are a lot of, in, oh, see, now you're talking to me. See, we can go on and on. <laughs> we can go on. Uh, Jean Grey, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot, a lot of uh, Bahamadia. I could go on and on about this music. So, but yeah, so you got me fired up now. I'll See, now you're, got, now you're talking to me. Next time. Next time we'll talk. We, this time we talk basketball. Yes. Next time we talk, we'll talk music with a little bit of basketball. Yeah, absolutely. Then we invite all my friends over, Master Ace and all those guys. We got to have, hey, those guys are huge basketball. Those guys are huge basketball fans. So they would love it. You know, we bring in, we bring in Pete Rock. We'll bring in all the guys and we'll have a whole lesson. Let them MC go. and we'll do it. So, uh, but no, this is, uh, music is fun. And I love the fact that, you know, I couldn't wait to warm up because there was always the music. And then I got a chance to meet those guys. 
right. and it was great. So uh, it, it was, uh, I just love music and uh, it's kind of the marriage of music and sports to me is the, uh, it's it's a beautiful thing. Definitely, definitely. We won't keep you too much longer, BJ. I, thank you so much for joining us, man. We'll, we'll talk to you soon again next time. Yeah, get everybody. We'll talk music. We'll talk basketball. We'll, we'll talk whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll we'll do it. But thank you again. Appreciate for having it on. And uh, Legends Live anytime. And uh, let's do it again, my friend. Definitely. We'll talk to you soon, BJ. All right. Thanks. All right. That'll do it for this week's Legends Live. Of course, we've got new episodes live every Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern. You can catch it on the NBA Alumni's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch page. I'd like to remind everyone you can catch replays of any episode at legendsofbasketball.com slash legends live. You can catch the audio replay to our conversations on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, by searching for Legends Studio. So I'd like to give a thank you to BJ Armstrong. I'd like to thank Bridget behind the scenes and everyone watching here. And we'll catch you next Thursday.